On May 31st, in the year 2000, an unheard of TV show appeared on CBS that would go on to become one of the most popular shows of all time. All right? It was nominated for 63 Emmy Awards. I always get confused at which awards are which, the Grammys, Academy Awards, Emmys, Emmys for TV. Um, 63 Emmy Awards made Time Magazine's list of the top 100 TV shows of all time. And the the season finale in that very first year attracted 51.7 million viewers. And apparently that's a lot of people, all right? So it was this, this blockbuster hit. Now part of the reason for this particular show's massive success is that it taps into some of the most basic instincts of human beings. Some of the greatest fears that human beings have surround survival. And that word may have triggered for you the, 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 the show. It was the show Survivor, okay? It's still going. It's on like season 43 or something like that right now. Um, it, it's been going for a long time, 20 some odd years. Now, in that show, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's where contestants compete for food, for shelter, for fire, um, and for other physical needs. And, and they do this in, with these physical challenges and these mental challenges. And you're competing against these other, these other players. The goal being to outlast all of the other opponents and gain the title of sole survivor and a million bucks, okay? <laughs> That's the goal. That's the plan. Now, the reason I bring this up is, as you'll see, hopefully it'll make sense here when we we dig into Philippians. As we become aware of the world around us, as we're growing up, even as children, as little kids, we start forming an understanding of what it takes to survive in this world. And as you get older, as you go through different kind of uh, landmarks in your life, you start understanding a little bit more about how the world functions, you, from the time you're young, you start l- learning about responsibility and making your way in the world. You start understanding the importance of education and hard work. There's all these little things that, that continue to unfold as we grow. We learn to navigate the ups and downs that are just part of life because that is part of life. We learn the importance of forging alliances with other humans. Um, we begin to understand what it means to be part of a community. We figure out what we need to survive and what we need to thrive. And then we look for ways to meet those needs, right? That's just the human condition. It's who we are as people. In Western culture, which is what we're all a part of, we have chosen to exalt the individual over the community. In fact, the show even functions that way because contestants start out as part of a tribe And there's these tribes, these competing tribes. But eventually, the goal is to betray and and ditch your tribe for the individual as the game goes on. Because the goal of the game is you get down to the very last one. The last one standing is the sole survivor. All right? In real life, though, the idea that we're all alone in this world is kind of a scary thing. If you think you're the only one that values your life or cares for yourself or has a desire to make it through this world and you're all by yourself and you either make it or break it, that can be pretty scary for someone. That's, that's how it is. That's why it's 
a bit scary when you leave your household for the first time, no matter what age that is, when you're out on your own trying to forge your own path. There's some fear involved in that. And what we also learn is if, if we weren't born into the right tribe with wealth and privilege and connection, you might have a fear, a great fear that you won't be able to survive in this world. I didn't start the way everybody else started or some of those other people started. How am I going to make it? Or if you were born into those communities, you might have a fear of losing your position or losing the opportunities that you've been given. In, in the case of the show, it's the fear of getting voted out. Does life sometimes feel that way for you? Are there fears that kind of pull at you? When something doesn't go your way, whether it's with work or school, do you ever think, oh my gosh, am I ever gonna figure this out? Am I ever gonna make it through life? Well, this is the point of all that. Many people in all walks of life struggle with fears, fears that keep them from having a life that's full of peace and contentment. Peace and contentment. Those two words are gonna be important for the passage that we look at here today. What does it take for us to be people that are full of peace in the way that we live, that are content with our lives? Jesus came and cast a different vision for life than one where you're the survivor trying to live, trying to make it, trying to figure out who's out to get you and how to make it through. This, this anxiety and worry and fear of, oh, am I gonna be able to survive? It's very different than what Jesus describes for us. And Paul here in Philippians continues to expound on Jesus's teaching. The good news of the gospel describes a life of peace and contentment. And as we'll see today, in any and every circumstance, it changes the game. All right, so let's begin here in reading our passage in Philippians 4. We're starting in verse 8. And here's what it says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul here starts with a list of things to think about. That's the first thing that he says is, I want you to think about these types of things. Now, the things on this list could be detached from God. He could just say, you know, have a positive mindset. And anybody can do that. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. You can th think about things that are true without being a Christian or honorable. We, we can detach those things from, from God, but that's not in Paul's mind at all. What he's describing here is he's describing everything in the context of a Christian's life, a life that is focused on the things of God. And these traits that he's describing are God traits. When he says the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. It's, a, it's another way of saying like he does in Colossians, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think about those things. Make that be the thing that you're focused on and, and considering and thinking about. It's very different than the, the way that we tend to go which is the opposite, right? We get stuck into the things of the earth. We get buried with the worries and the fears of this life. It's last week, that's what we talked about, anxiety-inducing things, 
right? That's where our minds naturally want to go. And so what he's saying here is, no, as a Christian, you don't have to stay down here in the dark places. Instead, you can set your mind on these good things. Focus your minds there. And he says there, think about these things. Now, I want you to understand that's not just like a bunch of religious talk. You come to church, you hear a sermon, you're like, well, yeah, of course the pastor's supposed to tell me, think about Jesus. Go home and go with God, you know, and we throw out all these phrases and you're like, okay, I'll do the Christian thing. And, but what happens when you show up on Monday to work and all, everything breaks loose, right? And things melt down and people are angry and cussing at you and there's all this that you've got to deal with. What happens when that all, all, all takes, takes over your world? But, but what he's saying here is, no, this is, is living a life that has God and the things of God at its center. Because that's what we're called to do as Christians. Our entire lives are to be centered on the Lord. And it's learning to live from that center rather than just occasionally calling on God for a consultation. I was trying to think of a way to describe this well, an illustration for this. I didn't come up with anything good, okay? So this is kind of a lame illustration. Pardon the lame illustration, but I think it describes it, okay? What I was thinking about is almost picture your, your life as a car, right? We're at least familiar with this. It's simple. Um, and Jesus talked about seeds and they all were farmers. They planted. So I'll just talk about a car. You, most of you all got here today in a car uh, of some sort, a vehicle. Now, in order for this chunk of metal with four tires to move, you have to have some sort of power source. You have to have an engine, or in some cases, if you've got an electric car, it's a battery, right? There's some power source that keeps this thing moving. Without it, you don't go anywhere. You're gonna sit in the driveway. You're not gonna be able to, to move. You're not gonna be able to do what you're designed to do as a car if, if the engine is busted, all right? This is the sort of thing that he's talking about when he says, I want you to think about these things. He doesn't say, hey, when you show up at church, you guys can all smile and you can talk about Jesus and you can pray and you can say, think about all the lovely things, excellent things, commendable things. And, and then you go on and, and you live your life. And then every Sunday you come back and then you smile again and everything's, ooh, that's not what he's talking about. He says, this has got to be the power source of your life. This has got to be the thing that drives you. This has got to be the thing that moves you. Anytime you're going anywhere, it's got to be fueled by the things of God, with God at the center. And so the question for us to ask ourselves immediately when we look at this is, do I live this way? Do I think this way? Is God really my power source? Is he what I'm relying on? Is, is he the engine or the battery in me? Or is he more kind of like a spare tire that I keep in the trunk just in case? Right, because that's how some people view God. They say, well, I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna power myself. I'm gonna figure out my way to make it through the world. But if I hit, you know, a road hazard, I may pull to the side of the road and pop the trunk and pull out the Jesus tire and say, Jesus, help me out. He's my AAA that I've got to call for roadside assistance. And then when they're done, they got to their destination. Great, throw them back in the trunk. And now I'll go for a little while again until I need him. And what's being described here is a whole different way of being, a whole different way of thinking, a whole different way of living. It's where he is truly at the center. And you guys hopefully know this. One of my primary goals 
as your pastor, as a pastor, is I want to help you guys grow spiritually. I want you to move forward, go somewhere in your spiritual lives. I don't want to just maintain you. I don't want to just keep you in the same spot. That's not good for you. It's not good for your growth. I want to see you grow and move and, and, and go in a direction. But I also am aware that growth requires change. Growth always requires change. And change is not always comfortable. But remember, if uncomfortable change results in spiritual health and growth, then it's worth it. So here's the, the first question before we even get farther into this message for you guys today. Where is your head? What do you think about? What are you thinking about? When he says, this is where you're supposed to have your mindset. This is how you're supposed to consider things. This is where you're supposed to be fueled from in the center of your life. This is how I think and how I move. Is that how you live life? Are you thinking about the things that are that whole list there? The true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Is that where your head is? Begin thinking closely about how you live in every part of your life. You can use that list as a filter for how you live your life. And what do you put into yourself? What do you involve yourself in? Simple. Ask yourself questions like, hey, what do I watch on TV? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? What do I listen to music-wise, podcast-wise? What about the places that I go? Is this where my mind is set? The people I invest in, the work that I do, how am I spending my time? How am I spending my energy? How do I spend my money? Is God at the center of the way that I shape my life? Or is he somewhere off on the side? And if you find things that are in you that you're like, oh, well, I've got, you know, a couple of those things. I think about excellent things here and there. And then I've got this other stuff that I am focused on. If you find things that are in opposition to the good things of God, throw them out. Be done with them. If you find things that are neutral, because a lot of things in our lives are just neutral. They're not necessarily bad. They're not necessarily good. They're neutral. Well, can you replace them with things that actually create positive momentum and positive change in your life? There's a lot of things that we do that are just time wasters. They're just, they just kind of, they don't really do anything. They're just kind of there. And that, sometimes that's okay. I'm not saying you have to get rid of all your free time. But there are some things where we can say, you know what? It's, it's really not letting me move. It's not letting me grow. It's causing uh, an issue, a holdup, a division between me and what God has for me. All right, so he says, think about those things. And then also, as he says there in verse nine, he says, also what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he also says, practice these things. So it's one thing to have your mind set on the things of God, but if you don't do anything about it, you, you're like it says in James, right? You're the person that hears but doesn't do. We're supposed to be hearers and doers of the word. He says, do it. And, and what he describes here is, you, you have to understand, Jesus was the ultimate center for Paul in his life. And he lived life that way, and it resulted in a life of peace. That's why he could confidently say right there in verse 9, if you live this way, the God of peace will be with you. This ties back into last week where we're talking about that anxiety that gets a lot of us. Talking about those fears that, that come into our lives. What the, the, the description here is, look, if this is where your heart is, if this is where your mind is, if this is how you're living, the God of peace 
will be with you. Peace is available to every believer, but sometimes we have to discard the things that get in the way of that. All right, then he goes on here in verses 10 to 13, and he says this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, understand this uh, about the history of all this. After Paul planted the church in Philippi, he continued to travel and to evangelize and establish churches. All right? And, and it's not like Paul had a website or a newsletter or a Twitter feed to tell all the other churches in the past of, hey, this is where I'm going next. This is what I'm doing. Here's where you can send support. If you want to pray for me, here's what's going on. It wasn't like that. This was the ancient world. And Paul, as he's traveling through, he comes to this, this, this village. He plants this church. He preaches the gospel. People get saved. They establish a church. And then he says, see ya. I'm off to the next place. Wherever that takes me is wherever that takes me. Wherever God is leading me, that's where I'm going to go. And so at that point, nobody knew what happened to him. He just kind of swoops in, plants the church, and off he goes. And so that's what is being described here. Because what was happening with the church at Philippi, they're so grateful. They're so thankful. Their lives have been changed. They've heard the gospel. The church is planted. Paul comes in. They learn about Jesus. They're healed. They're made whole. Life is different. And they're like, man, what happened to that guy who did all this? Who knows? He's gone somewhere in the world. And he was traveling nonstop. And he would have told them about the stories of the other places he had been. They're like, he could be anywhere. It's where's Waldo? Where's Paulo? We don't know. He's gone. He's somewhere. Okay? And, and what happened is, uh, the only way that the churches would have known what was happening was by word of mouth. Or if he happened to travel back through the area. So once word got back to Philippi that Paul was going to be in a fixed location for a while, and remember the fixed location was the fact that he was arrested and in jail in Rome. And so the church hears about that. They're like, oh, at least, hey, we've got a mailing address now. We know where he's going to be, at least the city. He'll be in Rome. So what they did was they sent him financial support. And that's what he's describing here. He says, now this revived concern He said, I know you were concerned for me, but you didn't have the opportunity. But what we learn and what we understand is that they then realized, hey, we can help support where he's at right now. And under house arrest there in Rome, we can send him um, some financial help. But notice in verse 11 and 12, where Paul says he'd learned the secret to contentment. Now, I started off this message today talking about the things that cause that fear and that anxiety and that desire of, of, of the, the worry of how do we survive. If you're in a place where you're just trying to survive, you're not going to be in a place that's anything that we would describe as contentment. If you're in survival mode, you're not just relaxed. You're not at ease. You're not, you don't have peace in your heart. You're trying to survive. People do crazy things to survive. Right, if you hear about the, the stories, I remember um, hearing about a story of 
it was a soccer team, I think, that, that, that crashed in the mountains somewhere on an airplane, right? And a few of them lived and they're trying to survive and the things that they're doing is crazy stuff. Survival mode, right? Um, when, when these kinds of things happen, you're not at this place of, of peace. Um, contentment, the dictionary definition of contentment is this, the state of being contented. Okay, that doesn't tell us a whole lot. But satisfaction, it says, ease of mind. If you're trying to survive, you don't have contentment. Paul here is arrested in Rome, perhaps up for execution. And yet in all of that kind of life circumstance, he's content. He has an ease of mind. He has a satisfaction going on. And so the people are like, whoa, we figured that we'd hear about from you that you're freaked out, that you're worried, that you're pulling your hair out, trying to decide, oh my gosh, what can I do? Am I going to survive? Am I going to make it? But no, that's not what we hear about you at all. Instead, what we find is that you're at peace and you have contentment. And that's why Paul's writing this. He's like, hey, it's not that I'm just loony. (laughs) I found the secret to contentment. I found the secret to peace. It's the opposite of the fear and the worry and the anxiety. Do you want that to describe your life? Right now, if I had to make you all pick and raise your hand, do you think that your life is a little more um, anxious or worried or fearful versus do you feel like your life is more contented and at peace? I don't know what our numbers would be like in the room, but I've got a feeling that nearly 100% of us would all say, this is the life I want. I want to be content. I want to be at peace. I want to be at ease in my mind. I want to have an abundant life. How many people sign up and say, oh no, I really like survival mode. I love to be anxious. I like to wake up in the middle of the night freaked out and worried about what's happening tomorrow. No, nobody wants that. That's not how we want to live. We want lives of contentment. We want lives of peace. And Paul says right here, he's like, I, 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 I've discovered The secret to this. What is the secret? He says it there, right there, plainly in verse 13, which is a very um, used verse, I guess I'll say. But here's what it says, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through him. The secret that Paul found, that he discovered in his life, is that contentment comes through him because whatever we lack in this life whatever we lack God can make up the difference if you were wondering you're not smart enough but he is you don't have enough money but he does you don't know the right people he is the right person and it's all through him. Now, let's be very clear here. He won't always give us everything that we want. Paul's not saying, oh, I followed Jesus and life is good and everything about life is good. He's in prison right now. He didn't want to be in prison right now. No matter how nice house arrest might have been for him and how nice that might feel to some of you. I've actually heard some of you say that. That sounds kind of good. You mean I'd be by myself in my own house and wouldn't have to do anything and food would come to me. And All right, no, it might sound good, but it's probably not. 
a week or two of that and you'd be sick of it. He was there for a couple years at least. All right? It's, 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 it, he doesn't always give us everything that we want. And, and even here he describes it. He says that he experienced hunger and need, but he could face any and every circumstance through his close relationship with God. Now, I do know that this verse is used out of context all the time for weightlifting and distance running. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's on the, the t-shirts of God's gym or whatever, you know. Um, that, that's all fine. That's good. Um, but the foundational concept is that God will carry us through. That's what's happening here. That's what he's describing. He says, I can get through these things because God is going to carry me through. Not that he makes me independent through him. It's not that God gives me this strength, so I don't need him. I, it's not that God will set me up in such a way that I can, you know, keep, keep Jesus in the trunk. That's not what it's, it's describing. What he says is I can do things through Christ, Christ at the center of my life. That's where this contentment comes. That's where the ability to do what he's calling us to do happens. We believe in a God who is our provider, our sustainer, our healer, the giver of life, our savior. And it's in him that we place our trust and it's in him that we find our rest. That is where the contentment and the peace comes from. And guys, without him, what I found in my life is there, you may find little bits of peace and, and safety in your life. We have friends out there in the world that are non-believers that don't know Jesus that in many cases, they might be doing okay. They might have what they need and they might've found some sort of temporary peace. But as life goes on, Everybody goes through the rough places. Everybody deals with the struggle. And even if that person makes it until their dying day and lives a rich, full life, and at 85, they're finally going to pass away, at that moment, there's no peace and there's no contentment if, if, they don't, if they haven't lived in a way that they know him and trust him. Oftentimes, the way that God takes care of us is through other people. And that's the other thing that Paul now is gonna go on to here. He says, yes, it is through Christ, but sometimes he uses others in that. It's through our tribe. Let's read the verses 14 to 16. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And he's referring now again to this gift that they had sent him. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You see, after Paul established the church at Philippi, that's in, as we looked a couple times at the map as we've been studying through Philippians, Philippi today is in modern Greece, all right? But back in ancient times, in the time of Paul, that region was known as Macedonia, there's a country today called North Macedonia, uh, but this section is actually now modern Greece, all right, where Philippi is. But after that, afterwards, what he says is after I moved on, as he continued south into Thessalonica and eventually Athens and Corinth as he continued to travel, that's when the church continued to help support him and provide for him. While they could still track him down, Thessalonica isn't that far away, just a little bit to the south. And he had told them after he left Philippi, I'm headed to Thessalonica next. 
So they're like, oh, cool, we can support that. It's not too far from our border. But once he continued to go, they eventually lost track of him. And that's what he's describing. And, and the church valued the missionary work that he was doing, so they sent him that financial aid to support him on the mission. All right? And, and he goes on, and he says there in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now what I want you to notice about this section here is that the gift that Philippi provided to Paul was financial, but it also had a deep spiritual impact. And I think that sometimes that's difficult for us to get our brains around. In a couple of weeks, we're going to take a deeper dive into what the Bible teaches about finances, about our finances as Christians. Um, and, and as I said before, when I first announced that we were going to talk about this, in the nearly six years of a church, as, as a church, I've never given a message on finances, ever. So this one coming up in a few weeks will be the first one. But I do think it's important that we understand what the Bible actually says about money and, and what it says about giving, even financially. It's good that we know that. It's important that we know that. And, and Jesus actually teaches a, a, a great deal uh, on money. It, and the Bible itself says a lot about it. And it's important that we cultivate these generous hearts just like this church in Philippi had done. But, but Paul was grateful for the financial help, but he also recognized that God was paying attention to their generosity as well. And that's what he's referring to here when he says, I'm seeking this fruit that increases to your credit. We each have different roles in the body of Christ. We have different callings. That's the way that he has set things up. And as we support each other in fulfilling the call that God has on one another, we are participating in his work. And I don't want anyone to underestimate how God can use you in his work. The people of Philippi, they didn't personally all go and evangelize the known world. They didn't go on all those missionary journeys with Paul. They didn't go to the far off cities in Greece, but they helped other people do it. And Paul says here that they get credit for that in God's eyes. Uh, in, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, I, I talked about a story where David in the Old Testament, King David, he wasn't king yet. He was still uh, in exile. Uh, and, and we talked about the fact that he came to a really, really hard place. They had gone off to battle uh, with this other kingdom and they got turned down from showing up to the fight. And when they came back to their home village where he and all of his men were at, if you remember this, the, the city of Ziklag, it had been burned and all of their wives and kids had been kidnapped and take, taken away. And as we looked at that, we were talking about like the, the hard place that David was in. And there's this really cool verse where it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. You remember that? And what I told you was, this was a time where David was in prayer and David was praying through, I told you, a very difficult situation. The people, his own men wanted to kill him. 
They were so distraught because their wives and kids had been kidnapped. Their village had been burned. They're like, you, you caused all this, right? He's, he's just devastated, doesn't know what to do. And he prayed through that. Well, in that, um, as that story continues to go, we didn't, we didn't look at that. After he prays through it with the Lord, God tells him, he, he actually asks God, do I pursue these people? Do we go chase them down and see if we can get our wives and kids back? And God speaks to him and says, yes, go. And no one is going to be lost. And so David rallies the guys and says, don't kill me yet. God's told us we need to go on and we need to chase these, these raiders down. And so they do. And they start traveling and they're going full speed trying to catch these guys that have just left a couple days before them. And they, they, as they travel on, they come to this place, this, this uh, stream called the Brook Bezor. And some of the men, they've been traveling for such a long time. They've been going so hard. There's, there's only 600 of them total, 600 men, including David. 200 of the 600 are like, we can't go on. We're too wiped out. We're too exhausted. We seriously can't take another step. And so David says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to lighten our load. We're going to try to leave some of our, our supplies and our luggage and our weapons. We're going to try to get down as light as we possibly can so we can go even faster. You guys that are too exhausted to go on, we want you to stay right here. You stay with the stuff. The rest of us will go and we'll try to see if we can track down the, the rest of our families. All right, and they, that's what they do. So they, they, they lighten their loads, they, they all stay put, then they go. And sure enough, within a day, they find the, the, the people, the, the bandits that had raided every, everyone. And they immediately go into a battle and it's a, a 24 hour battle where they're just fighting. They wipe out these people, these Amalekites that had, had kidnapped all their wives and kids. They rescue every single person. No one, none of their wives, none of their kids are killed. They rescue them all. And they come back now to the other group of people that are waiting for them by this, by this river. And look what, look what is said here. It's in 1 Samuel, it'll be on the screen for you. 1 Samuel 30, verses 21 to 25. And it says, then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. And listen, they shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. That's the concept that Paul's describing here. He's writing to the church at Philippi and he's saying, look, I know you didn't go and travel and do all the missionary work that I've done, but that bit of money that you sacrificed to help pour into this, it's done a great work. And it's not gonna be that, oh, you just supported Paul and what Paul's doing, super apostle Paul going around. No, you share in this 
because you've invested into this. And it's not always money, it's other things that we can invest in. We can pour out right now. We've got people that are investing into our kids in kids ministry over there. And they're pouring out their time and their energy to help do the work of of the gospel. They're preaching and teaching and caring for others. They're loving people in need. There's lots of ways that this can happen, but we're all in this together. Do you understand that? Do you see that? That's the way it is. Now, side note, we must be careful that we are doing what God specifically calls us to do. All right? Now, because here's what happens. Sometimes we say, oh, that's really good. This works great. What I can do then is I can pick the thing that I like to do the most or the easiest for me to do. And as long as I do my little part, whoo, I get all of the reward. I can just do whatever it is that I feel like that's easiest. Hey, I can write a check. Are you kidding? I got a few extra hundred here or there. I can do this. That's no problem. And you're telling me I'm totally good with God and God's going to say, oh, awesome. You gave more than your neighbor down the street. So therefore, no, no, we have to be careful what God's calling us to do. We can't just send money if he's calling us to go. And on the flip side of that, we can't just go if he's calling us to give. We have to each do our part. And that's the part that makes it tricky because what that requires is you constantly have to be talking to God and saying, Lord, what are you calling me to do now? What are you calling me to do next? This is what I've done in the past, but what about now? Are you calling me now in this stage of my life to to give in this way? Are you calling me in in this stage of my life to to exercise these gifts or offer these these skills that I've developed over time? What are you calling me to do right now? If you want to obey God, you have to learn to hear his voice. In two weeks, um, we're going to hear from Rudy Aguilar, uh, a pastor from our church who serves in Rosarito, Mexico, just across the border down here. And I think that this is, it's a modern example of a very similar relationship. The way that, that Philippi helped support uh, Paul, this is similar to one of the ways that we help with Rudy and the work that Rudy is doing there. Many of you have supported Rudy in his ministry directly. Many of you have been down there to the building that has, he's built down there. Uh, many of you have given money or donations toward it. As a church, we support the work that, that is there as well. And Rudy and his family, they're a part of our church family. They're not here on Sundays because they're there, but they're still part of our church family. They're the extended family, so to speak. And they're called to a place, in this case, that has far less material resources than we do up here. And so that's one of the ways that we can help give um, to the work that's happening down there. And we, on this side, we get to enjoy that. You'll get to heaven one day and you'll be, God will say, wow, I, I loved what, what you helped with in Mexico. And you're like, Mexico, I never, I've never been to Mexico. <laughs> like, yeah, you did. You helped support the ministry that was happening there by the things you gave, by the, the ways that you served in prayer. You know, um, that's the way it works. And it is, as he says there in this passage, it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. All right, so now the last verses as we finish Philippians here today. Finally, he says this. He says, greet, verse 21, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household there in Rome. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we finish here today, it's just a reminder that we're part of a larger community of Christians. We're part of a community of Christians that spans the globe, that that has existed for centuries. The people of the church in Rome that he says they're sending their greetings, they probably would never meet the people of the church in Philippi. That wouldn't have been that common of a thing to happen. But they knew that they were a part of the same family of faith. Someday when this life is over, we will meet all of the saints in Christ Jesus. We share eternity together. Uh, and, and that's something for us to look forward to. And I do want to say this also, um, just as I finish. When I look at the church at Philippi, as we kind of think back of the things that we learned in this letter. And I told you from the very beginning, I love the letter to the Philippians. Um, it's, it's one of the most joy-filled letters that you see and, and that you see this, this healthy church really moving forward. When I look at the church at Philippi, I see a lot of similarities in our little church here. I see some, some good things. I believe that God has begun a great work here. Just like he said back in chapter one, the one who, Jesus, who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I think that's what we see happening here. Of course, we aren't perfect. And as we've gone through this, we've seen that in ourselves. But when I look around at you guys and I know what God is doing in your lives and through you and with you, I'm encouraged. I'm very encouraged. And I see some real potential in who we are as a church and the things that God could, could use us to do. So as we wrap up here, and, and as we even think through the summer, and as we, we continue to pursue what God might have for us as a church, um, my prayer, and I would ask you to pray too, is just that God would continue to stretch us, that he'd grow us, and that he'd use us, as we say, for his glory and for our fulfillment, that we would experience his peace, and be content in any and every circumstance, even when the gym gets hot, all right? Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word here today. I thank you for this letter to the Philippians. God, I pray that we would be people that are content, people that have understood the peace that passes understanding, and, and Lord, I just ask that as we continue to live life each day together as a church community, that we would be reminded that it's through you that that contentment comes. And Lord, with all the, the places that you call us, all of the opportunities that you give us, Lord, we wanna be people that are walking right in the center of your will. We wanna be people that are walking in the power of Jesus. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us, that you would enable us to be the people you've called us to be. You've called us to an abundant life, a life that is overflowing with your goodness. And we wanna be those people. Lord, so help us grow, help us change, help us become those people that are healthy and stable and whole so that we can do the things that you're calling us to do. 
And so today, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters as they look at their own lives, as they think about the things that they focus on, as they think about their practices, the way that they're living their lives. Lord, I pray with all of that, God, that you would show them your path. You give them the courage to obey you and follow you on that path and that you would empower each of us to live the lives that you're calling us to. We thank you for this day. We pray that you would speak to us, you'd be with us in this week ahead and that we would do all things for the glory of Jesus. That's in his name that we pray, amen.